When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Human Circus. There's a story that I'll start with here. It's a little bit vague. There's not much of an ending. And the truth of the whole thing is very much open to question. It is, of course, a Prester John story, and it goes like this. The way this is generally told is that this was a natural continuation of what we covered last episode, a consequence of the letter of Prester John, a what comes next. And what came next was also a letter, which makes sense. If you received a letter and you were interested in knowing more about the person, you had questions to ask, advice to give, and demands to make. You might be quite likely to send a letter of your own. The story goes that Pope Alexander III wrote a direct reply to that letter from Prester John, that he read Prester John's letter, a text that some historians now read as a work of propaganda directed against him, and he answered it. It's an account that's gone around for quite a while, was in that passage from Sabine Baring Gould that I quoted at the beginning of this series, and was in the 1970s works of Igor de Rakowitz, in his papal envoys to the great Khans, and Prester John and Europe's discovery of East Asia. In tellings such as Rakowitz's, it was a man named Master Philip who carried the letter, and this was not his invention. It was there in the letter itself, written there that Philip was a personal physician to Alexander, that in September of 1177, he began his journey, sailing from Venice. As Rakowitz put it, Philip was departing on a task both hazardous and delicate. He was bound for the unknown territory beyond the Tower of Babel, carrying that document addressed to the very dear John, illustrious and magnificent king of the Indies. He made land somewhere around Palestine, and quote, The ill-fated envoy probably lost his way in the desert, and met with an untimely end, as nothing was ever heard from him again. Man receives letter, Man writes reply, man's courier presumably dies. It's not the best of storylines. But then, that may indeed have been exactly how it happened. Or maybe not. Maybe not exactly. Hello and welcome. My name is Devon, and this is Human Circus Journeys in the Medieval World, a podcast that follows medieval history through the stories of its travelers, and a podcast that is supported by a Patreon. Maybe already supported by you, 
In which case, thank you very much. This is all a one-person effort, as you've probably noticed by now, and the Patreon really helps to make it a more sustainable project for me. If you are interested in signing up, you can enjoy ad-free listening and other perks over at patreon.com forward slash human circus. And now, back to the story. To the story of a letter. Not from Prester John this time, but to him. This will be a bit of a shorter episode. That's just how it works out sometimes. I generally try to keep things in the 30-something, 40-something range. But I think this will work better, both for this episode and the next. What we're talking about here is that letter from Pope Alexander III to Prester John. Its contents and context. The circumstances. It was the year 1177, probably. It was September the 27th, possibly. And Pope Alexander III had something to say to that near-omnipotent king from somewhere out east. It had been a busy time for Alexander. After nearly 20 years as Pope, Twenty years spent struggling on and off with Frederick Barbarossa and his anti-pope. Twenty years in which he was generally unable to safely reside in Rome, instead ever on the move across Italy, France, and elsewhere. He had only just that year, in 1177, been recognized by Barbarossa as pope at the Treaty of Venice. In the previous year, his allies in the Lombard League had defeated Barbarossa's forces at the Battle of Lagnano. In late July, he had accepted the emperor's request for peace and strengthened his hold at home. Then, in late September, he wrote to this other eastern emperor, seeking to bring Prester John also under his authority. Alexander was used to dealing with people of immense power, with Barbarossa, with the Byzantine Emperor Manuel I, and with kings such as Henry II of England, as in during the Thomas Becket crisis. He was accustomed to power, to wielding it, to dealing with those figures of his time who held it also. And now, now he was writing to another of those. He begins by addressing his letter. Bishop Alexander, servant of the servants of God, to John, beloved in Christ the Son, illustrious and magnificent king of the Indians, greetings and papal blessings. Then he further establishes who he is and what it means to be pope. He writes about the papal seat, the one he presides over, however humble he may be, how it is the head and mistress of all those who believe in Christ, how he, no matter how unworthy, is successor to the blessed Peter, the one to whom Christ had said, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the doors of hell will not prevail against it. Alexander was humble, unworthy, and ever so modest but also ever so clear as to his position of primacy. It was, as ever, easy to be humble from up on the throne. 
And then Alexander turned his attention to his correspondent. We've heard of you, he says. We've heard for a long time, by reports and common rumor. Reports, perhaps including those which we covered in the last episodes. Common rumor is seeming to imply a more general level of chit-chat, Mr. Prester John. But the Pope hadn't only heard those other reports, wasn't just responding to some loose talk at this court or that. His own doctor and familiar, that Master Philip, had told him. He'd told him of speaking with honorable men from Prester John's kingdom, who had talked of the priest-king's desire to be, quote, educated in the Catholic and papal teaching. It was a laudable goal, Alexander assured his reader, so that Prester John, quote, may never be seen to hold in his faith that which dissents from or is in any way at variance with the doctrine of the papal seat. The priest-king, Prester John, might have had gems and knights that were practically beyond number, and may have counted among his people many who we at least would consider among the supernatural with power to match, and it's not totally clear what the Pope thought of all of that. But Alexander had the correct Christianity, and he wasn't shy about making that clear. He lectured that far-off lord of legendary might. He chastised him. To declare yourself a Christian wasn't enough, he wrote. Indeed, he who did so, but was not in agreement in word and deed with this same declaration, could not truly hope for salvation. You could have all the magic mirrors that you wanted, raise them on however many steps of precious gems and metals that you wished. You could have world-shattering armies that followed the cross at your command, some of them eating the resultant dead, a little suspect in itself. But it was, quote, not enough for anyone to be thought of as Christian in name, who has experience of a faith other than that which the Catholic and papal teaching holds. Not all who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of the heavens. But all of that was okay, Alexander assured Prester John. It was going to be all right, because Philip had related to him that the priest-king wanted with fervent desire to have a church in the city of Rome and an altar in Jerusalem, where prudent men from his kingdom may be able to stay and be completely instructed. Little Prester John was, in other words, going to be just fine, just so long as he sat down and paid attention in class, just so long as he recognized that Alexander was not one of his fellow students. They were not the same. The letter slips back and forth between cautioning Prester John that he was not home and dry, religiously speaking, and commending him for being ready to do something about it, between a kind of theatrical modesty as to its writer's scant suitability for the greatness of his office, and reminding the reader of that very greatness, and just how very great it was. Although we are placed in blessed Peter's chair without deserving it, the letter read, with wise men and foolish men, rich and poor, 
On account of the apostle, we recognize our obligations. And so, we have concern for the salvation of you and your men. What was needed, it continued, was for someone from the Pope's side to go to Prester John and help him. A very difficult and painstaking task, as the letter put it, to journey to those distant lands through such labors, various dangers, and different places, through barbarous and unknown languages. But the Pope would see it done, he assured Prester John, because of the duties of the papal office and the priest-king's pious intentions, he would send his Philip to him, send that distinguished man, circumspect and foresightful, to correct Prester John and his people regarding the articles of the Christian faith in which he and his men seemed to be at variance with Alexander, at variance, as he would have it, with the truth. In the final passages of the letter, Alexander asked Prester John, he admonished and exhorted him, to receive Philip respectfully and faithfully. Two, if it was his will, heed what Philip said to him and learn, to send back with Philip honest persons and letters signed with his seal. The Pope wished to know this man's purpose, his desires. Alexander was curious about this mysterious figure. Was he indeed inclined to yield to the Church of Rome? Alexander, for his part, was willing to listen to any requests that the priest-king might have, and to grant those which were beneficial. He wished, quote, to move forward in all ways in which he could, according to God, and he desired to make the souls of Prester John and his men profit in the Lord. The letter is dated September the 27th, at Venice, on the Rivo Alto. A date, and a place. But what of the year? That comes to us thanks to the work of 19th century German philologist Friedrich Karl Theodor Zarnke, who found the day on one copy of the letter, and Venice on the other, and then, examining Alexander's movements, narrowed it down to 1177 as the only year when the Pope had been in Venice on that particular date. And that's what's generally accepted. Dating issues aside, that, more or less, was the letter, and it all seems reasonable enough. A Pope gets a letter from a figure of mystery to the Far East, and he replies to it, the content seems believable enough, as does the failure of Philip's embassy, its disappearance without, thus far, any trace. So what wasn't to be believed? Why did I mention that this might not have been quite how it happened? Why does the much-referenced Keegan Brewer question this chain of events? The answer, for Brewer, gets back to that question of belief. To what degree did people believe what the letter of Prester John had said? How can we tell? Brewer's position, his point of annoyance really, is the way the first part of the equation is laid out. The Pope reads the letter, he replies to the letter. 
For Brewer, it's the first part that needs further examination. The part where people have accepted that Alexander had read the letter of Prester John and answered it, and that this then stands as a clear demonstration of belief in the ruler himself. To this, the response is that one, even if the Pope himself was reading and replying to Prester John's letter, it hardly follows that belief in the priest-king was necessarily widespread throughout medieval Europe. Two, we don't actually have outside evidence of Philip's expedition taking place. And three, it's not at all clear that Alexander was familiar with the letter. And this is an interesting assertion on Brewer's part. How could Alexander be unaware of the letter? What leads Brewer to suggest it? For one, the Pope makes no reference to the letter. He doesn't say he's read it, doesn't quote it, doesn't ask about topics in it that you might expect him to. The various objects of power, for example, the curious people and creatures, and then the St. Thomas material, the most striking absence. Nothing. Alexander never actually tells us that he knows of the letter. Instead, he makes repeated mention of the somewhat mysterious Philip physician to the Pope, though not a person we know much else about. And Philip's source was supposedly not the letter either. He claims to have had it from people he'd met on his travels, people from Prester John's kingdom, who told him of that place and its ruler. So maybe that's what happened, exactly as it's presented in the letter. Bit odd that we don't have any other reference to Philip's mission, but it is certainly possible. Or maybe Alexander did read the letter. Maybe he read the letter and actually recognized it for the barbed dart of imperial propaganda that it maybe was. Maybe he replied in kind. And maybe this papal communication to the Eastern priest king wasn't ever really meant to be read by a Prester John but instead by a Latin Christian European audience, to whom Alexander now trumpeted his authority and asserted his primacy, doubtless weaving in all manner of allegorical and rhetorical touches as he did so, that will escape the modern reader. Maybe. As I think I said earlier, there will be no shortage of maybes in this series. The history of the Prester John story is full of such uncertainties, but that's not all there is to it. Next episode, we'll be rubbing up against the very concrete events of the Crusades, in particular the fifth one, where promises understood will go unfulfilled, fatally so, where we'll see the way information becomes distorted at a distance. How the end result of that transmission will provide an amazingly rose-tinted picture of real events. Events that would, not too much later, be much, much more immediately felt. The news, misleading as it was, was going to arrive and circulate. And it would bring hope. It's the hope that kills. Thank you very much for listening. I'll be back soon with that next episode, the next in this Prester John series. 
and I'll talk to you then. Human Circus will return.